0: Your culture is based on the people you hire. You can't spend the money that you don't have. $1,000 in investment to a company that's worth $150 million. Sales is all about like relationships. And it's all about helping people to do things that you shouldn't.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Sound of Sales. In this episode, I have a conversation with Guillaume, who is the founder and CEO of Lemlist, a bootstrapped startup from Paris. His company is worth over $150 Listen carefully and enjoy the show. So for the people that don't know about Lemlist, I don't want you to pitch Lemlist, but how would your parents or your friends describe what Guillaume does for a living?
0: I think they would say uh, I'm an entrepreneur uh, that uh, helps people build and grow uh, their business in a profitable manner.
1: All right. That's pretty clear, I would say. And... um, how many, how many users are you currently helping and, and where in the world are you based? Like uh, a little bit background stuff on that.
0: Yeah, sure. So we have uh, more than 10,000 companies using, uh, using Lemlist worldwide. We are in about 86, 87 countries. Uh, and, uh, the biggest chunk of our user base is, uh, is in the U S.
1: All right. Cool. So a lot of time zone things that you have to take care of. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) How do you manage that? Uh, Do you have all your people locally in Paris or um, do you spread them across the globe to tackle that?
0: So we are based mainly in Europe, but not everyone is in Paris. I would say that maybe a third of the company is uh, in the Paris office. And otherwise, uh, we've always been pretty like remote team from uh, day one. So yeah. we kept that uh, in our DNA, and I think like uh, when COVID hits, it was uh, it was not a, a big change for us, just because you know we we had been remote for most of the time of the company.
1: Yeah, yeah, and um, if if you go into that growth mode, uh, so you you've been profitable for quite some time now, um, you have to keep that under control. Did you did you always? Work on making sure that your culture doesn't wasn't wasn't affected by, yeah, by the budget constraints maybe that go with bootstrapping.
0: I think like uh, your culture is based on the people you hire. Like you can't force a culture on a company; it doesn't make sense. The the culture mm-hmm. is created by a uh, by the persons, and uh, we've always been like uh, hiring when we could, uh, and we hired people we wanted to. Uh, to do things differently i feel like a uh, constraint to me is not something negative i think it actually pushes mm-hmm. people to be more creative um you know like if i if i tell you like uh i don't know like uh, that you only have paper and uh, and two boxes to play football then you will be like oh no i can't i need a ball etc etc however like uh, you could just take paper do like a, um i don't know you take few boxes to 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 mm-hmm. create like a the goal and then you have like the, the paper to make the ball and you can play. You know, like that's uh, that's what a lot of kids can do. And uh, and I think like uh, this is the same with uh, with building a business. When you have more constraints, you think like, OK, what can I do that people who have tons of money are not doing right now? And how mm-hmm. can I focus on that? And when we started, we focused basically on uh, on building relationship with people, on building a community, on trying to bring as much value as possible, just because we knew that Every other companies we were who we were competing with had like hundreds of million in fundings and that they prefer, you know, like spending their money on ads, um, trying to organize like uh, huge events or sponsor people, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas on our end, we preferred just building these relationships and focusing on, on people that we could help.
1: Yeah. So for the people that are not familiar with bootstrapping, it basically means... You start with your own money and you, you keep doing it and you, uh, grow with the revenue that you're basically making. Right. Um, I can imagine it's quite a challenge to like work with like, um, the budget thing and with hiring people, like how did you tackle that to go from three, three founders, how do you get from three to, or to where you're at, where you're at now? Um, of course now you, you are profitable, but. Take me back to the beginning. How did you manage that early so, on? So
0: first things first is uh, you can't spend the money that you don't have. So we had like uh, no other option. <laughs> uh, we started with uh, $1,000, uh, just enough to get like uh, the servers running. And uh, and then we had the chance to to build a tool that allows us to, to do more sales and sales prospecting So we were basically eating our own dog food and I was the only one like using our tool to just like create sales prospecting campaign, meeting with people, trying to bring value and uh, potentially down the line, create partnership and close customers. So that was like uh, one thing that we started. And when we once we started to make a bit of money, we're like, okay, maybe now we can hire like freelancers to do, let's say, like one day of work per week and step by step, we started like being able to maybe hire a bit more people, pay ourselves a salary and step by step. We, we started you know like to, to invest a bit more in the people. but yeah. to be honest, like uh, my two co-founders who were uh, a bit older, like are they, they like two tech brothers, like uh, they, they're co- CTOs kind of thing. Yeah um, you know like for them, they, they always said that they were always telling me like we should be able to do all the things ourselves. like uh, we're not forced to hire people, like hiring is just like more problems. It's management problems, et cetera, because my, uh, my, one of my co-founders was basically like CTO of a video game uh, company for about like 10 years. So he managed like uh, hundreds of devs overall or something. And for him, it's like <laughs> he didn't want to go that route, you know, like no. he, he enjoyed like doing, he enjoyed like so. so and, and on my end, it was different because I was the only one in charge of the business. And down the line, you feel lonely. So you are like, OK, I, I want people I can brainstorm with. I want people I can exchange with. So we grew, I think, to like one million in uh, ARR uh, by being just five people, uh, including my streak of two co-founders. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it was very very like uh, little, and we had no employee; it was only like contractors. So um, and then after that, we started to have like full-time employees, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then uh, that helped us to scale to ten million uh, and above. So it's uh, it's been quite awesome. uh, quite uh, quite a journey. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think if if I would, if I would Google best bootstrapping startups, I don't know if there are lists for that. I've I've never Googled it, but I can only think of one company that went to ten million above ARR on thousand dollars. Congrats on that! <laughs> Thank you. I am. Um, Uh, before I became a startup founder, I was doing a little bit of research. I wanted actually to, to write a PhD on bootstrapping. So I'm really familiar with how it goes and, and what goes in it like crazy. And you, you were actually the only one selling it, correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I was, it was just me, just you, (laughs) Yeah. like
1: what drives you on, on what are, what are you made of? (laughs) I don't know.
0: I, I think again, I, I feel like uh, constraints is, uh, is all you need to, to become more creative and, and do all these things. And at the in full transparency, at the very like, beginning of Lemlist, I really like uh, I was checking you know in the media and I could see like all my friends raising like millions and this type of thing. Mm-hmm. And whenever I was telling my friends that I had a startup, everyone was saying like, "Oh, great, like, how much have you raised?" I was like, I haven't raised any money, and they were like, "Oh, okay, so it's not a startup." And then I was like, oh, <laughs> "Okay, thanks for making me feel like a shit."
1: <laughs> but actually, it's just a company that you built. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> it's a solid piece of company.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. but b- back then, you know, like I, I really felt like, okay, I had to raise money, etc. And I started having chat with uh, VCs and investors, and they were telling me, you know, in the early days of Lemonis, they were like, "Man, you've got like a thousand competitors." Uh, why you? I don't. I don't know you. You haven't done shit before. You're mm-hmm. pretty much like a nobody. So, basically, I was I was hitting doors and doors and doors and doors. And one day, I received a message from uh, one of our customers, who was basically telling me, "Hey, G, like, thanks a lot for uh, helping me setting up these campaigns and the tips you gave me. I actually closed like uh, three deals. Uh, we're now making like uh, 80k per month." And I was like, what the fuck? Like, seriously? <laughs> First, I was like, man, I'm a bit jealous of what you've been doing. But then in the end, I was like, this is the type of feeling I want to have, you know, like, being, like having people being grateful for helping them and being able to impact people's life um, because that person was able to hire more people, build his business. Yeah. So from that point on, you know, like, uh, I think, you know, like Simon Sinek, everyone talks about it, like, uh, with uh, you need to know your why, et cetera, et cetera. For a long time, I said it was a bit bullshit. But in the end, you know, you were asking me what drives me and what drives me is when I see like that I can uh, change people's life, helping them become like uh, profitable, build a business that they love and do things that they are passionate about. That's uh, that's a driver.
1: That's a that's a big thing indeed. Now, even if, um, if I bring this back to your team, so um, in the beginning, uh, you, you have to play soccer with two boxes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know the hiring market is insane nowadays. And I think in the last couple of years, it was more or less the same. It just got a little bit worse, maybe. But um, people have a lot of expectations when they come onto the job market. How did you tackle that in terms of your culture? Like in in terms of wages and, and all those things, we don't have to go into details, but how did you sell your vision to new people like if 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 there's somebody listening they just got they just launched their company they don't have any budgets or a little budget how would you go about like advising a person like that
0: i think that people don't join a company for benefits i mean no i I need to rephrase the sentence i think that (laughs) The, the most talented people I know don't join a company for uh, only like mm-hmm. the, the benefits you would get on just like a, a money standpoint or I don't know, like a ping pong table or video games or unlimited holidays and all these types of <laughs> things. I think that the best people and the most talented one I know join companies based on the vision, the mission and what it can bring them on the intellectual level. Mm-hmm. And if you focus on hiring only the smartest people only the ones that are the most passionate, what you can ensure to other people applying to your company is that they will be hanging out with the smartest people out there. And yeah. this is when you do these type of things and when you try to be like very, very like strict in who you're hiring and you know, you have like this uh, a strong culture that you can actually attract more people without having to compete that much on wages, etc. And then again, to me, it's it's the same, you know, it's uh, as in sales, hiring, it's exactly the same. You need to define your ICP, so ideal customer profile, which is uh, for your employee. If you take like our dev team, um, we have team of developers. They are all French, uh, and they have all more or less the same profile: adults, um, twenty plus years of experience, living in uh, outside of Paris. Uh, Usually like countryside in a house with their family really enjoy remote and it's not something that was uh, That was very common back then and still not for a lot of developers Mm -hmm. And then you know, we we just want to uh, work with super smart people uh, And in in an exciting environment and if you look at this Then if you look at the person working like uh, at Lemlist uh, in the developer like uh, team, it's exactly that so People can really like project themselves and say like, okay, maybe I can join maybe this startup, you know, that's paying me like uh, twice as much as money. But I'm going to be with uh, probably like managing uh, young uh, developers that are like that are going to make a ton of mistakes. It's going to be like a pain in the ass, etc. Or I could be like with a super smart team, maybe less people, maybe getting a little bit less of money. And actually we pay like really well, but maybe like uh, the conditions are a bit different. But at least, you know, I know they have like very strong values. I know that, you know, they don't talk bullshit. I know that, uh, you know, it's really like a a company. I could picture myself working for a few years. And then once you have that, you know, it's uh, it's just easy to to attract talent.
1: And it, it's, it sort of clicks together as a family, I would imagine. If somebody joins that team and it fits that ICP perfectly, it's like, oh, I'm home. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's, that's what we try to do. Like uh, having the family spirit is something we, we like a lot. But uh, yeah, definitely. That's super Nice.
1: Do you, do you do Google Map search like where does the person live? Is it a farmhouse or is? <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, I don't. I don't stalk people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> make sure they fit it. <laughs> make, make sure they fit every box. <laughs> awesome, but um, who does the hiring? Are you? Do you still do that?
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, it's uh, it's. I need to meet. I meet people usually at the, the final round. So my co-founders and now and I we do like the the culture fits. Uh, and which mm-hmm. is always like the, the last round. Um, and, uh, and yeah, for, for business or I would hire like people for key roles, for example, where I would uh, where I would spend a bit of time. But now we have actually created a people department, people and culture. So we have people who are actually like uh, doing like uh, hunting and trying to find like the, the top profile we want to have in the team, etc. And, uh, and then after that, they, there is a, a process where It's, I would say we always do a test, technical test, whether it's in marketing sales or, uh, and then it's a few meetings with the team and we try to go up quite fast whenever we want to hire people.
1: Awesome. And um, how many people uh, do you currently employ?
0: Uh, Right now we are uh, around like 40.
1: Nice. Quite a growth. Quite a growth. And hiring so pe-
0: about twenty-five people right now, so it's <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> so that uh, that will bring more uh, yeah mayhem to the show. Exactly. So for the people that don't know Lemlist, um, so you you actually it's three years and a half that you exist right now.
0: Yeah, exactly. Twenty-eight. Ten million, 10 million
1: plus ARR. Nice. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so. um yeah, it's fresh uh, from the press. Um yeah, you just the three co-founders, you sold a bunch of shares. Uh 20%, one hundred and fifty million valuation, congrats on that again. But um I wanna tackle why you did it. Risk and peace of mind, I yeah. think I read. Um, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, how again, did you uh,
1: how did you tackle the process like did did you went in with it with the idea of doing that or did it just was an opportunity that came onto your path and you thought like yeah that's life-changing
0: no it's it's just that um i was looking at the company we were building so we we actually like during these three and a half years we also grew another company to about six hundred thousand dollars that we sold Mm -hmm. um and exited and uh now with uh, so Lemlist is, uh, is not actually the company. The company is named uh, Lemhire yeah. uh, and okay. we have multiple projects. And I was wondering, like, um, OK, we started like uh, from zero with almost nothing. We spent a lot of energy and time to build something that is uh, quite exceptional and crazy. You know, like we're super lucky to be in that spot. But the truth is, as a founder, as you grow, you understand that the, the more revenue you're making, the higher the valuation of your company is, but as a founder, you you don't know anything. Like the valuation is just like uh, it's in the air. You know, it's not yeah. it's nothing. It's not in your bank account. So when someone is telling you like, "Yeah, I've built like a billion dollar business, etc." I'm like, "Okay, great." Like, how much money do you have personally? And they're like, "Oh no, we, we get the money during the exit." And I, I know a lot of founders who never exited. You know, like their their company was worth. Uh, a friend of mine, like really good friend of mine, his company was worth 400 millions. Uh, and then it ended up. worthing zero, like nothing. Mm. And I asked him, like, how much did you get? And he's like, he, he didn't want to talk about it. And then he say, OK, I didn't get anything. Uh, I just got my salary, which was not a really good salary for years. And that's <laughs> yeah. it, you know. So then, you know, I realized I was like, OK, like uh, it's it put it put actually more pressure on me because it means that you don't want your company to fail. Uh, you really don't want the company to fail because you have so much more to lose now. But the truth is, like the bigger your company gets, the more things to lose you have. You know, it's like uh, the more things you have to lose, and it's it's crazy because you're like shit. You know, like I'm doing something I love, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I still feel this pressure of you know, like not uh, of risking too much when actually you could just release a bit of pressure, be much more confident, and become much more ambitious. And at that time, you know, like I, uh, I had a chat with uh, with uh, expe- gross expedition capital and Oli and uh, David. So the, the VCs and I told them, you know, like, I don't want to fundraise. I want to stay bootstrapped. I love being profitable. I love the way we handle the business. And then they were like, OK, OK, I mean, we, we don't want to touch the business. You know, like you uh, we went from uh, one thousand dollars in investment to a company that's worth one hundred and fifty million this is a journey we want to be part of. It's not something where we want to change things, uh, right now, et cetera, et cetera, because, uh, we believe in you. We believe that the company would worth more than a billion, like in a few years, uh, let's go, like, let's go on this journey together. And, uh, and then for me, I was like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. going to get enough money that we don't have to worry ever again about the money in our entire life. And we can just like, uh, keep growing. And the truth is uh, what I've realized is as soon as we've, we did that deal, my two co-founders and I became much more ambitious. Like we started to structure ourselves. So it's like, okay, now the new goal is to get to $100 million in annual mm-hmm. revenue in the next maybe like four years, four to five years. So let's go, you know, like, let's do this, let's structure our company so we can achieve these results. How are we going to make it? And then, you know, like uh, everything comes down to that plan and it's uh, it's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that that moment, it brings ease of mind to like, all right, now we can go to exponential growth mode uh, and take the risks because in the back of everyone's mind who is a founder, it's like, what if, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What if it works out? Then all is good. But what if I lose it? That's... uh... Yeah,
0: yeah. And that's, that's, that puts, that puts a lot of pressure as your company gets bigger.
1: Yeah. Yeah, great. Like, yeah, that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, how do you think, sale? like, you know, with Lemlist, you want to go to 100 million ARR, you can you can go even higher, I think if you reach 100, sky's the limit. But how how do you think the world of sales will evolve? In, in those years?
0: It's a good question. I think like, um, we're not ready for what's coming next. Um, we, we've been working, for example, uh, on a new project within Lemlist uh, with AI and uh, copywriting and AI and all these type of things. And mm-hmm. the, the power of it is, uh, is quite scary, like, uh, in a sense that it's, it's really like right now, almost impossible to uh, differentiate an AI from a, a human. So that's, uh, that's something that's going to dramatically change. But something that will never change is that sales is all about like relationships and it's all about helping people. And to build relationships and help people, you need to meet with them. You need to get in touch with them. You need to set that meeting. You need to do all these things that, you know, will, will evolve for sure, like in the way it happens. But I, I do feel that in the end, we will always be human, you know, and um, the way we do our and the way we make our decision when it comes to like purchasing something, it's often very emotional and not that logical. And um, and the truth, it comes down to to this relationship. So for me, yes, of course, sales will evolve, especially with technology and all the the means to to set this meeting up, etc., and do these things. But in the end, the the sales process and how things it. It will stay. It, it has been the same for like uh, years and years and years, even though some people mm-hmm. are always trying to pretend that things are, are changing and it's dramatically different, etc. In the end, the essence is the same.
1: Yeah. The thing that you do notice, though, in the last couple of years is that a lot of people have like, I'm not sure how to say it in English, but you understand French like uh, they have a, a sure. degout okay um, yeah
0: they're disgusting by uh yeah, by, yeah yeah
1: from the moment that they see on your linkedin profile you're a sales trap it's like ah i don't want yeah. to hear from <laughs> you <laughs> how, how do you think that will evolve because will, will yeah. they become more human again i i think that
0: first of all it's a uh, sales rep should should understand and help their audience understand that they, they are more consultants than just a sales rep. Because mm-hmm. that's true that, you know, whenever there is a, a sales rep reaching out to you, you feel like, okay, that person wants to, like, sell me something. Um, in some cases, it's fine. On other, you're like, oh, shit, you know, like, uh, another, like, sales prospecting message, like, I don't want that, etc., etc. So the idea is, okay, how do you manage, I don't think, I don't think that um, sales should hide themselves from being sales rep. But I do think that, you know, maybe instead of having like SDR or hardcore closer on their LinkedIn profile, <laughs> maybe they should put something a bit more like genuine uh, about what they do and what can they do. So it's like I help and then you put your mission. So I help yeah. SMBs get more deals or qualified or
1: whatever. Yeah, 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 indeed. And um, how do you set up your sales team for that success? How do you make sure that uh they don't knock on doors that don't open for a sales rep. I,
0: I think my view on, uh, on how like, uh, sales teams are built is a bit different. I love, uh, what I call full stack sales cycle, yeah. uh, which is essentially like someone will go from A to Z. So reaching out to the person, building the relationship and then closing. Um, I know a lot of people don't like this uh, system because they think that it's better to have SDR, AE and then, uh, CSM or whatever. Yeah. Do you um, think?
1: Sorry to interrupt you, but do no, you no, think no. with a with a larger size of Lemlist that it will still be possible to do uh, the full stack SDR type position, or do you yeah, notice that so. you need more on the top of the funnel or more account executives that make sure that people can renew in time and that sort of stuff? Or how I think so.
0: I, I think it's yeah. I think it's possible. Uh, I might be wrong, <laughs> and only like uh, time will uh, will let you know about it. But uh, no, I think it's possible. I think like uh, everything can scale, like your content team can scale. So why not your, uh, your sales team, even mm-hmm. though they are full stack? It's like you just need to define uh, location, geography, et cetera, like in, a, in the right way. And then people can build their network on specific areas or specific topics and then have this kind of like, uh, it's just like you need to see uh, a business, especially whenever you do sales, you need to understand that it's like having multiple businesses so for example it's uh let's say like uh, your business is uh, mcdonald's whenever mcdonald's is going to open in a new city or uh, in a new street Mm -hmm. maybe they're going to have like 15 or 20 different mcdonald's as very specific places for me it's the same with your sales rep as you're growing your team you know can be independent businesses and the way you can build your sales team is like a franchise so it's like uh, everyone is owner of their own shit. Uh, you need to make them understand that but once they know and they are their perimeters they can be full stack of course like they can reach out they they understand the perimeters they understand who they need to talk to uh, what type of content they should write to position themselves as thought leaders build these relationships and then close and once you have that you know it's uh if if you perceive your business a bit like uh, the example i just gave with a franchise and things like that i think it's it works well
1: that's a nice way of putting it (laughs) uh i can literally imagine what it looks like with mcdonald's franchising (laughs) 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 but um i can imagine do you use individual targets for every salesperson
0: no for their own franchise no i I don't put i don't put targets uh we uh, i mean we put targets but we don't really care about them meaning that uh, we say that okay this is what should be reached but if it's not, there is no issue. And the bonus comes down to uh, um, so this year, for example, we gave at the end of the year about half a million dollars, a bit more to the team and everyone got the same bonus. It's just that we gave the same bonus to the dev, to the support, to the sales, yeah. etc. So we prefer paying like a, a higher salary for sales rep, because, yeah. again, you know, like uh, once you're doing sales, it's it's a tough job. Uh, it comes down to many things. It's not only like your skills of booking meetings. It comes down to, uh, sometimes, you know, like the external factors. You could be, you know, in a, in an area where for some reason, the person you reach out to are in a bad mood, so they're not going to be able like to, or they, they might have like, uh, it's interpersonal skills and sometimes even like, uh, the best sales rep have also like times where they are a bit down. Uh, you know, like uh, you feel like crap for some reason, you have like some personal uh, things going on, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's the toughest job because it requires you to be like uh, if you want to be the top performer all time, you need to be 100 percent of your energy every single day, which is most for most people impossible. And yeah. um, and to do so, you know, it's like uh, I feel like when you put this quota and when you put like all these numbers, etc., cetera, et cetera, You force these people to take shortcuts because you understand that it's not possible for someone to be at 110 percent like every single day. And because people are motivated by these things of number, eating a quota, etc., they will take shortcuts. They would uh, try to close a deal with someone that's not a fit. They would try to do all these type of things, which is not what you want. What you want is uh, having a sales team that are really you know, like taking care of your users and uh, and the clients that they onboard, that they are able to tell them, okay, no, you're not a good fit. Uh, Just because what you want is to have clients that will see the most potential, the most benefit in your product or service. And if you can have that, then it makes a lot of sense. You know, like then, you know, like people are not stressed by quotas. They can really focus on these relationships. And because sometimes it happened to me, you know, like back in the days, I would see that the person is not a fit Um, and then, you know, I would uh, I would just say it. And once you say it, you know, they're like, thanks. But actually, you know, when you once you explained that I was not a fit, it reminded me that, you know, I have these two other companies like I work with, etc. We're Mm -hmm. looking for something like yours. So I'd love to do an intro, etc. And boom, then you have like two super qualified intro that you can close. This is business karma, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, of course. But when it does, you know that, you know, when you do the right thing, you're always rewarded down the line. It's not always like this, you know, instantly, but down the line, you will.
1: Yeah, it's very true. I think um, the last couple episodes, it always came to mind or or was said that sales is, is really a people thing. You said it as well. And when you're talking to a human and you are human, good things come your way even if it's not a fit you better say it's not a fit because then you will earn the respect and if they move to another business and they can make use of landless for example they will come back to you because you they remember you that's very true and on the other side if you if you close people that are not a fit and you have a not very nice conversation with them what you often notice is that um once you close them, they become a pain in the ass because they have all sorts of strange questions and all that sort of stuff. And then yeah. you say, I, "I thought it wouldn't be a fit." Now, now I have this. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Now, um, your sales team, full uh, full stack. I, I call it full stack salespeople to do everything. But um, do they also do the account managers Once once it's closed, do they keep in touch with the clients or how does that go with you
0: for us it's uh it's not we are uh, initially we're like a self-service tool meaning that obviously like uh, we don't really have any account manager but the truth is once they've been onboarding and they get on well with uh with the sales rep yes they get in touch from time to time but it's it's not something that takes them a lot of time it's more like casual chat and it's just because the truth is When you build your network, you're going to meet with really cool people and down the line, they might come back and ask you questions. For me, that's exactly the same with uh, the full stack and the way people, whenever they have issues and do like the way we do our account management, if we had to call it that way, it's really about uh, people having questions and then like uh, the questions being answered directly by our support team. Uh, So everyone in our support team actually worked in sales for years before they join support. So they know the ins and outs. They know sales prospecting. They are like outbound experts. They can give advices, etc. So it's a, uh, it's really key also.
1: Yeah. yeah. Basically it's more than a support. It's, it's somebody actually also thinks a little bit with you, like you could solve it like this or that. Uh, and yeah. that way you take a little bit of pressure away from the sales team, because I can imagine at some point you reach your, your ceiling where you have new accounts that you need to be focused on, but you also have closed accounts that yeah. <laughs> you need to focus a little bit on. So then it gets all over the place, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely. So so the idea is that truth to be told once people are well on boarded, they shouldn't come back to you to to ask you questions. And if they mm-hmm. does, um, if they do it, sorry, it's, um, it's mainly because you know, they have something top of mind that is more about strategy, and they want to brainstorm, but In the end, it's, it doesn't take any, a lot of time to, to the, to our team.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Great. Do you think it it also works well for, for junior profiles or that, that have never done anything in sales? So they need to, you need to learn basically every step of the full stack sales process. Do you do that with
0: juniors? I think it can work if they are natural. Some people are natural, you know, like uh, for them helping others is is just in their gene, like they they understand Mm -hmm. it. It's easy. Uh, They have like uh, good interpersonal skills and they are grinders. So they're ready, you know, to spend time on people's profile, find icebreakers, do all these things. Yes, it can work, but it's definitely like uh, 10 times more difficult rather with uh, someone who's been through the SDR, NAE, and then that got frustrated because Maybe they thought that the person they were meeting were not actually really qualified or maybe they thought that you know like when they were doing SDR work that the AE was not closing enough and they wanted to go all in so it's it's really like uh, from all this frustration I feel that the the new model of full stack sales came up and uh, and we see people were like killing it like really and it's much more efficient when it comes to uh, also profitability and all these things. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's definitely something to try out. It doesn't work for every single business. Like, uh, if you do like enterprise deal, it's definitely not something that I would recommend. But uh, for SMBs, and uh, you know, like, uh, self service, short sales cycle, etc. It's definitely something you want to try out.
1: Yeah. Do you? You have a you have a self service part of Lamless, right? So you can go to the website and upgrade and that sort of stuff. Where's your focus between pushing people to a flywheel approach, like you touchless and and the outbound? How do you how do you tackle that? Which type of companies do you put on outbound? Then?
0: yeah, for for outbound, it's a good question. For outbound, we just focus on the bigger ones. So we're gonna focus really on the one that have um, more than ten sales reps. Um, really like the bigger teams and uh, essentially the one bringing more value because in the end you always need to understand like uh, and do things in a ROI-driven way. So how many people, uh, how much money are they going to bring? How much time does it take to close a deal, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera, and then see whether or not what you're spending is uh, bringing more money <laughs> or not, and is it like ROI positive? And uh, if you focus on like very small accounts you're going to spend a lot of energy to close something that's going to bring you like 50 bucks per month. It's, yeah. not, uh, it's not going to be like uh, giving you a positive ROI for sure.
1: No, indeed. So you would, you, in, in inside Lamblist or, or as advice, you would say um, if your ticket price is below 200 euros a month, for example, don't bother about it. Make a self-service tool that can take care of that part of it. And then put your rest into your sales team.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it depends the stage of your business as well. Yeah. Um, because if you're just starting, I, I feel like outbound is still like the best way to grow because it will allow you to meet with the right people, get these connections and just get started because with building like a, a fully self-service product and scaling it, it takes a lot of time. And at first you need to go get your users, but this, uh, you should always do a bit of both. And focus, because for example, you know, let's say you have a a software that costs like uh, 200 bucks or 100 bucks per month. But let's say that this 100 bucks actually when people uh, join or when a certain type of people, let's say that uh, companies between uh, or companies with uh, 50 plus uh, people in it, whenever they are customers of yours, when they stay, they stick for, let's say, uh, 36 months or something like that. So their lifetime value is really huge, maybe or it's. It's quite huge. So maybe what you want to do is actually focus much more on this one because you know that uh, each customer is going to bring you like uh, 3,600 uh, euros and 3,600 euros, If you can close 10 of them per month, which is not huge. If it's a self-service means faster uh, sales cycle, then it means yeah. that each sales rep is bringing 36K um, every time they, they're doing this, which is, which is quite good. <laughs> then your ROI uh, totally yeah. changed. So what matters is not just like the the ACV, but it's also like uh, the lifetime value and uh, and really spotting like the the right customers.
1: Yeah. Yeah, great. Cool. I got one more question for you, the last one, and it's something totally else, but I ask it to every guest. If tomorrow I tell you, Guillaume, here's a billboard, what would you put on on it and why? Not marketing related.
0: I think I would put uh, do things that you shouldn't um, which, is, uh, which is something, you know, like uh, we've really been doing since day one. So the, our second employee was uh, a videographer, so someone working on the, on the video side. Um, we hired uh, after one million in AR, only people who were like junior and who had no prior experience, uh, which is also something that people were telling me not to do it. Uh, we, we worked on multiple projects when people actually tells you like to actually focus, you know, like, man, Lemnist is growing so fast. Why would you start something else? <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's, I, I feel like in the end, you know, you, you need to do all these things that you shouldn't and, uh, and do your own things, like make your own mistakes and, yeah. and live your own life. It's your company, your rules. I think it's important to keep that in mind.
1: Yeah. now you can also say told you. <laughs> <laughs> great (laughs) so guillaume thanks a lot for your time uh it was a nice conversation to learn more about the person one of the persons behind lemlist thanks uh, a
0: lot bram i really had a a good time and if people want to reach out to me I'm, i'm usually on linkedin answering all messages
1: great great thanks a lot for your time guillaume
0: thank you